welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Yes, as the video said, welcome to Awaken. My name is Kathy Solomon, and I'm the director of Community Life, if we haven't met yet. And with you, I hope we all are just soaking in and enjoying the magnificent arrival as spring. As I um, come to awaken on Sunday mornings, I get off at 35 in Victoria, and there was just this row of lilacs that were just greeting me with their glory this morning. It just was absolutely fantastic, and I hope you're noticing the way the rebirth has come. As we begin our gatherings, we like to start with a moment of intention. And in just a moment, I will invite you to a moment of silent prayer. And in that time, invite acknowledging the living presence of God that is here. Many times I would always think, oh, we need to like pray God to enter this space. And over the years, I've switched that idea to the living presence of God is everywhere. And can we just take a moment to bring ourselves into the awareness of God's presence? So let's take a moment in that acknowledgement, and I will collect that in a call to worship prayer. So with me, join in acknowledging God's living presence. a collect for worship. God of grace and restoration, you renew the church in every age. Keep our ears attentive to your voice. Open our eyes to your living presence. Restore your church and heal its brokenness. Through the name of Jesus and the power of the Spirit, we pray. Amen. All right, friends. Okay, man, buzz in the room. I love it. Well, um, welcome again. My name is Micah. I'm one of the pastors at Awaken, and we're so glad that you're here. Uh, If you are new to Awaken and you're looking to connect, we would love to know that you're with us. So in the seat pockets in front of you there or online, you can click a I'm new button. That'll come to our team. We'll reach out and invite you to a beverage of your choice, get to know you a little bit, and you can get to know us. Um, Those, as well as if you fill out the cards and tithes and offerings, um, can go in the black boxes. At each of the exits, there are a number of ways you can give to the church, and we always appreciate and thank you for your generosity. Uh, Like to try to tell some stories of the things that are happening around here, so I don't know if you came in this way from uh, from the parking lot, but the garden got planted yesterday. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. Yep. Faithful crew who put some things in the ground, and now we'll just watch them grow. Super fun. So I'll invite Angie if you want to make your way up. Uh, We've mentioned before where this produce will go, but I wanted you to hear from Angie, um, who participates. Take it away. Hi. Good morning. Um, I've been joking with Micah, and it's now a very old joke. I'm sorry. But I've got about 20 minutes prepared, so if he could shorten his sermon, I think that'd be great. No, just kidding. It'd be very short. Um, So I go out... uh, 
pretty much every Tuesday with a program called Walking with the Purpose here in St. Paul. I've been doing it for about two years. I'm going to read the mission statement so I don't mess it up. Um, to help meet the immediate needs of people who live outdoors without safe and secure housing while working to radically transform the paradigm of chronic homelessness. So what we do every week, we have two uh, short buses that we bring out that are filled with things that people need. Um, blankets, jackets, shoes, batteries, candles, hygiene products, kind of an endless amount of things that people need. Um, and then every week we give a basic food bag out to people. The bag has usually two bottles of water, a sandwich or two, um, some snacks, a fruit cup, a couple pairs of socks, which are really important. And so everybody gets that. Um, in the summer months now here, we're going to be really busy. There's a lot of people living outside. We'll probably see 75 people or more every week. Um, we're out there usually, particularly in the summer, for about six to eight hours, a really long time, going from location to location. Um, I like to say that there's two things I really love about going with walking with a purpose. The first thing is there's just no expectations. We take people wherever they're at, whatever's going on, and sometimes there's a lot of stuff going on. People are having you know, pretty serious mental health issues, or there are people who are clearly having some drug issues, but we don't care. Come to the bus, we'll give you what you need. It's just that simple. You don't have to be on a plan, you don't have to be working a program, we'll just give you what you need. Uh, the other thing that I love, it really sets it apart for me, is a, a relational program. We, the reason we're out there so long is because we're talking to people. We're standing around for a lot of the time, just talking to people as they come into our buses. We get to know them. Um, I would say at this point, after a couple of years, there's probably 25, 30 people that I know by name, and I know their story, and they, sometimes they know my name, and, and we see them, and we hug, and we know each other. It's, it's relational. I love that. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I told one of our friends that's out there, been out there for years, that we were going to be doing these produce bags from the garden for our, our friends that are living outside. And he smiled. He kind of twinkled. It, it was like he was excited that that, that was going to be happening. Um, the, the thing I really wanted to say mostly this morning, why am I getting emotional every time I say this? Because it matters. It matters. I am so grateful to be a part of a church that is constantly looking for ways to meet disenfranchised people, people living on the edges. I'm just so appreciative of that. I wanted to thank Heather. <laughs> I want to thank Micah, Jenna, and I just want to thank Awaken in general for being that kind of church. It's just, it's the way the church should be. Um, and then I, I, I wanted to say that if people are interested in popping out sometime on a Tuesday, you can check with me, you can talk to me. Um, I've had family members, friends come out just one time. And really just, you know, it, it changes your perspective a little bit to, to go out and do that. I'd also encourage you to look at our website, Walking with a Purpose. Um, it'll tell you more about what we do. And then we also partner with uh, um, a program that's just fascinating called Settled, where they're building tiny homes. And we have now one uh, tiny home settlement in St. Paul with, I think it's six or seven homes, where some of our formerly unhoused people are living in these tiny homes. So it's just a super interesting, innovative way to yeah. approach this. So that's what I have. It's not 20 minutes. <laughs> we, t we say that we value uh, justice. One of our values is justice. And um, we've talked about this upstream justice, which is like working with legislative laws and things that, that impact folks downstream. 
Um, and then there's kind of downstream work where it's just meeting the needs of people where they're at. Um, and so this is one of the things that is available for you to connect to if you're interested in that. I've gone out. Um, you don't have to stay for the whole night. Uh, I, I tip, when I go, it's usually from 2 to dinner time or so. Um, so you can kind of peel off if you need to. But um, if you're interested, please connect with Angie. Uh, it's a really, really beautiful thing that's happening. And we're a part of it. You're a part of it. So thank you. A um, couple other things we want to let you know about. Our annual meeting for Awaken is coming on June the 4th. Uh, that will be following this hour, the second hour. Uh, so if you're interested, please join us for that. Uh, we will serve lunch in between. The meeting will start around 12.30 or so. So if you're going to join us for lunch, let us know so we can have some food for you. There will be a, a movie downstairs for the kiddos, and then we'll have our annual meeting, talk about uh, what's, what, what we're celebrating, what's coming up, uh, vote on the budget, all that fun stuff. There is one gathering next week, that is Memorial Day, so if you are in town and looking to come to church, we'll be here at 10.30, and that is all. Nursery, uh, birth to five, we'll have care for, for those kiddos. Um, and then today, if you're uh, planning to join or spontaneous, uh, there is a pack-and-play lunch event at Palace Park, two blocks that way, so you could grab lunch and hang out with some folks at the church. Sound good? Okay, friends, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Judges, so I'd invite you to find that. And we're going to continue in our series called Iterations. We have been looking at the different iterations of God's people in Scripture. It's my contention that no matter where you pick up the Bible, you will find a group of people who God is intending to show, model, uh, put on display what relationship with God looks like. So God's people, whether it's Adam and Eve or, you know, uh, Abram we studied in week two and this, this sort of new family. Um, we've tracked through Jacob and his wrestling with God. We looked a couple of weeks ago at the Israelites, God's people who find themselves enslaved and who cry out to God. And then last week we looked at these people who leave Egypt and follow the pillar of cloud and fire. That there is a, a presence always available to God's people. There's always an invitation for God's people. And there's always work to do. There's a vocation uh, this sort of enlisted, if we choose to, participate in this story that's being written. So we're looking at the different iterations of God's people, and today we make our way into the book of Judges. Um, <clears throat> for a little bit of context, right, there are five books in the, in the Bible that begin with, uh, called the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then Joshua, Judges. So we're in the seventh book, and basically, like big sort of big scale flyover, God uh, calls a group of people called Israel in Genesis 12. That's Abram. Abram has a son with his wife Sarah named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons, the youngest of which is named Joseph. That's right. Come on, guys. You're, on. You're, you're here with me today. Joseph, the technicolor dream coat, right? His brother sell him into slavery. He makes his way to Egypt where the, the whole family finally makes their way because of a famine in the land. The Israelites are then oppressed and enslaved in Egypt for a number of years, hundreds of years, and Moses is sent to liberate them. Moses takes them out of Egypt, they leave, and they begin this process of wandering in the desert for a while because a group of people decide not to go into the land God had promised them. A generation dies off. The next generation is led by Joshua into the promised land, and that's where we are. That's the Bible in five, right? Okay? So, um, <clears throat> Judges chapter 2. We're going to start there and we're going to, uh, we'll hop around a little bit, but if you are able in body or in spirit, I would invite you to stand for the reading of the word and then we'll dive in and see what happens. Genesis, or I'm sorry, Judges 2, verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. 
Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from their ways, the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to the ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and their stubborn ways. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, Because this nation has violated the covenant I ordained for their ancestors and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. The Lord allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. Pray with me. God, this morning as we gather, we do so with so many different things in the room. We, as a church, gather because we claim the name of Jesus as the center of our community. And I know that there is a, a whole different levels of belief and faith or doubt or question about that premise. And yet, we gather with the hope that you would join us. No, that we would become awake and aware of your presence here. That, that you might encourage us and challenge us, maybe even provoke us, uh, instigate, so that we become the kinds of people that you have given your spirit for us to become. That there might be more light and goodness and hope and justice in the world as we partner with you in what you're doing. So, may we be found faithful today. I pray in the strong name of Christ, by the power of the Spirit, the church said together, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so, the book of Judges, a little bit of a setup here. God is really clear with the Israelites about what's to happen when they enter the land. Now, we've done a series uh, in the summertime often called Lost in Translation, and I'm not going to go into... The, the really tricky and sticky wicket that we find ourselves in, in terms of like, well, how did those people who used to live in that land, what happened to them? And, right? There's a lot there, and we've done some of that work in Lost in Translation. I'm not going to really address that, all right? Just a caveat. But the Lord's clear to the Israelites about what's to happen when they enter that land. They are to set themselves apart, which is to say, don't intermarry with neighboring tribes and, and nations. Um, but be unto yourself, and, and in doing so, you will model for the rest of the world and, and those around you what it looks like to be in relationship with Yahweh, because that's the intention, that everyone would know and everyone would be in relationship with the divine presence, God. And so um, they had some specific rules, like do this, don't do that, right? Act in this way, don't act in that. And as they enter the land, Israel, we find, basically does all the things that they were told not to do. Very much like a teenager. Uh, they, uh, they worship false gods. They intermarry with neighboring nations. And they, they sort of, uh, if that was a way to avoid the temptation of, of not worshiping the true and living God, they'd, they'd do all the things they shouldn't do. And it gets bad, right? They find themselves in, backed into corners. They find themselves being taken over by other nations. And um, violent, they're invading them, these raiders, the judges calls them. And they cry out to God, hoping and expecting God to answer. 
And so 12 different times, Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah, Gideon, Tola, Jr., Jephthah, Ibsan, Elon. Did you know that Elon is a biblical name? I literally, I learned that this week, you guys. I was like, oh my gosh, what does that mean? Probably nothing. Abdon and Samson. Samson, you know, you're probably very familiar with Samson. I was at a tug-of-war gathering. My oldest is in a tug-of-war club. Who? There's a national world championship for tug-of-war. I don't know if you know this, right? They've gone to Belfast and Amsterdam to pull on a rope. But they're trying to recruit new people. They're trying to recruit new people. So it was like, get your friends, get your family. So Hadley, my oldest, recruited like 10 people to come down to this tug-of-war thing. And at some point, you know, all the kids are sitting, our foreign exchange student, all my kids, they're all in lawn chairs. And I was just kind of like dad pose, you know. They have all these pictures of me doing dad pose where I, I just kind of stand there, you know, like pondering the meaning of life and whether or not that, you know, uh, door that I had built is actually going to withhold the pressure. Did I do it correctly? They have a, so I'm doing dad pose and one of them's like, dad, give us a sermon. And I'm like, we're at a tug of war party. But have you heard about Samson, you know, talking about strength? He had the hair, and then they cut it, and he couldn't tug on the rope. Couldn't do it anymore. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Samson. Samson. Uh, Twelve different times, right? Same thing, over and over. So I want to make a couple of observations broadly about the book of Judges. We can't study the whole thing. And then I want to focus in on one story, the, the story of Gideon, as we close But the first observation I want to make is, uh, I would say it this way. The book of Judges, I think, while it does a lot of things, it offers us a picture of a very childish relationship that people have with God. Um, I don't, for those of you who are parents in the room, if you spend spend any time around small children, there's a sweet season after they're born you know, where they, they can like, they're they're more of a human than than they were when they first came out, you know, that uh, but they can't move yet. So you can set them down in one place, and they don't move. It's so wonderful. You could, like, cook a meal or, like, call a friend or any number of things, and no worry. You know, they just stay there. And then you have that terrible moment when you realize that season's over because you put them on the bed, and they moved. Don't do that, okay? But that, that's, that, that season where you can set them there and they don't move. And, you know, you give them some Cheerios or you give them a toy or you give them any number of things and they're happy for a little while. And then when they're not, they tell you, right? They can't use words and so some of them cry. Some of them squawk like raptors, you know. You'd swear you've been taken over by a, a group of squawking eagles. And some of them, you know, they just wave their arms, you know, like, Hey, over here, help! Need a little help here. Like, fix something, do something, feed me, change me. You know, somebody, anybody. And so, you do. That's what you do as a parent. You just, you set down whatever it is you're doing, and it's a terribly one-sided deal, is it not? You know, it's like all give, no receive. (laughs) You're just always giving, always giving. You're talking on the phone, and your kid's like, ah, ah. You're like, gotta go, bye. Because that's what you would do as a parent. Because that's what parents do. And it's a pretty one-sided relationship. Uh, It goes in one direction. And I want to suggest in some ways that what we see in the book of Judges is a very childish, immature relationship that the people have with God. Where they find themselves in the same spot over and over again, right? And they just start waving their arms, you know, like, help, fix it, 
We need you. Somebody, anybody, God. And what God does is respond. Because that's what... So, so two things I want to highlight from that. God is the parent of these children. You think about this place in the story. God has called a group of people, and they are often called the children of Israel, the children of God. And that's what God does, because that's who God is. God bends down, picks them up, dusts them off, and sets them on their feet over and over and over again. Now, the writer of the book of Judges lets us know that sometimes God's not necessarily happy about that because they've thrown the ball down that set of stairs before, and the same thing happened the last time they did that. But God gets the ball and sets it back and puts the people back. And they get, a, they, get a, they get a fresh start, right? A new batch of Cheerios. And I want to stop here. Because I think one of the most important questions that we can ask and entertain as people who are interested in the spiritual life is what do you think God is like? And I don't know if you've ever read the book of Judges, but sometimes when I've read it, I'm just like, Jeez, that's got to get old, don't you think? Just the same thing again and again. So if you would entertain me for just a moment, every now and again we'll do an all-play question at Awaken where I'll ask you a question and I'd love for you to kind of shout out your response. So I'd love for you to just close your eyes for just a moment and I want you to imagine God. And I'd love for you to, to offer... What do you think God is like? What are the pictures or what are the images that you see or hear or experience when I say, what do you think God is like? Shout them out loud if you have any. Kind, thank you. What else? Gracious. Patient. Understanding. Beautiful. Welcoming, say it again in the back. Loving, fun, surrounding, mobile, unrelenting. Somebody in first hour said disappointed. Gang, I, I, sometimes I repeat myself because there are certain things that I think are foundational. And they will make or break, they will, they, will, uh, they will impact for a lifetime your experience and your relationship to the divine. And one of those is, what do you think God is like? And I want to suggest that we find pictures in scripture where we see the character and the nature of God. And today is a little, it may be basic on some levels, but I want to suggest to you that th this is what God is like. A parent who... Who puts down what they're doing to engage their child, even if they've been there before? Even if they've said, don't walk down this path. Even if they've given some advice to say, you know, you might not want to do that. There is a generosity and a love that wells up in the heart of God because this is the character and the nature of God. So I want to highlight that. I want to also highlight, if your 23-year-old child is still waving their arms at you, we've got a problem. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and you, you, may, you may be frustrated with them. You may be uh, maybe upset with them. Maybe you've had this conversation. Maybe you come and you give them a hug and you say, buddy, I love you, but you've got to get a job. Like, we've got to stop with the Nintendo. Right? The basement is not your final destination. Okay? 
Listen to me, right? There is, there is, a, there is a sense in which parent-child relationships change over time, hopefully. Dear God, I pray, <laughs> right? And the child becomes an adult, the child's relationship with the parent changes over time based on their life's experience and their experience of the, of the parent. And they, learn and, tr- and they learn to trust the character and the nature of this person so that when they get themselves in a spot that they've maybe, they don't quickly forget all that's gone before them and they don't say things like, God, where are you? I'm abandoned. I'm alone. No, you know because you have an experience of God's faithfulness over time and history that while you may feel deserted, that that's not actually true. And what's real and true is that God is Emmanuel present all the time. And so we can live in this nuanced robust, growing, evolving relationship with the divine, and we can maybe move away from waving our arms every time we get in the spot saying, God, help, fix, move, where are you? And the wonder of God is that God, God's present in that. And I think, it's, I think it's safe to say that God's interested in us moving along, growing and maturing in our relationship with God. I think, it, I, think, I, I think you could say that our relationship with God might grow and get bigger and more nuanced and complicated and mature as we grow and mature. And like that's the trajectory, that's the goal. So as one of the pastors at Awaken, that's one of the things that we want to keep in front of us. Emotional and spiritual maturity and growth is the goal. That's movement along the way. So that 20 years from now, we're not still waving our arms at God like we did when we were toddlers. I think that's one of the things that the book of Judges kind of puts up and says like, just pay attention to what's happening here. And be invited to move beyond that. I want to also notice the long-suffering and patient, optimistic, hopeful heart of God. Uh, Some of you know I've shared a little bit about this uh, experience, but I have three children. 2018, we were set to go on sabbatical. I applied for a grant that had me traveling to a number of places, including the Camino. The Camino is a trail, a path that people have been walking on pilgrimage for like seven, uh, since the 700s. Allegedly, the, the bones of St. James the Apostle. I didn't actually realize that, you guys. St. James, that's the name of this building. Like, oh, wow, that's fascinating. Allegedly, St. James the Apostle. So people have been going on pilgrimage to the cathedral in Santiago. So I wanted to walk a part of that, and when, when we were, uh, didn't get this grant, I said, well, I, I think we can still do some of it. And Laura, my wife, said at the time, um, you can't go without me unless you take one of them. <laughs> right? Said differently, you're not going alone on the Camino. So I thought, well, could I take my oldest? At that time, they were 13. And that kind of hatched a plan. And the plan was at a, at a kind of uh, rite of passage moment, you know, moving from junior high to high school, we would take our, each of our, our children on a sort of adventure trip with dad. And, and so Hadley and I went from point A to point B on the Camino. Dahlia and I last fall went from point B to point C. And on June 9th, Lyndon, also known as Ace, leaves, uh, uh, we go from point D to point whatever. And 
Laura and Hadley and Dahlia will join us at the end and we'll all walk into Santiago together. Can you believe that? As I have, I've done a lot of things wrong as a parent, like a lot of them. And this one, like Laura and I are so proud. And I'm so excited that Laura gets to join us for like the end of it. She has done a lot of the work and experienced none of the joy. Okay, let's say that out loud and recognize it. Um, and so I'm so pumped about that. So you guys, it's training time. We are in the, we are in the middle of it. Like 21 days we leave for the Camino. And if you've ever done a long walk, like there are some things you're going to want to pay attention to. Number one, shoes matter. They are like the, they are the thing. And if you don't have the right shoes, you're going to be miserable for your trip. You will get blisters and blisters are bad news bears. So you got to get the right shoes and you got to break them in. Okay. Kind of like Red Wings. You got to break them in. And once you do, they'll love, they'll love you back. So I'm like, you got to find the right shoes. We got to get your shoes and you got to wear them. I'm like, wear them to school. You're like, no, dad. If when I do the fit check in the morning, you know, like they don't match. I'm like, are you listening to me right now? You got to put on your backpack, your backpack, because you got to know what it feels like to have 20 pounds and walk 15 miles. You can't just like crank out 15 miles day after day. And they're like, dad, we're athletes. We're going to be fine. The other day I said to them, I'm like, listen to me. If we get to the Camino and you all get blisters and you're crying and whining because you can't walk any any further, I will have no mercy on you. (laughs) That is literally what I said to them, you guys. And Laura was like, Micah, do you hear yourself? And I'm like, what? (laughs) That's the exact opposite of God. Pure and simple. God does not say, if you don't get it together, I will have no mercy on you. I mean, the long-suffering patience of the divine is astonishing, is it not? I am an idiot all the time. And yet, what do you think God is like? Over and over and over again, God picks them up, dusts them off, sets them down, and gives them a fresh start. It's just astonishing to me. Don't forget that, because that matters. And the hope, (laughs) imagine if you're God, and these people just keep doing, they keep throwing the ball down the same set of stairs. And it, like, the same thing happens over and over and over again. And you keep hoping that they'll get it next time. It's easy to become cynical. And it's easy to become a kind of person who can't even hope anymore. In the world that we live in. And I would suggest that is a very dangerous place to be. Where we won't even risk love because we've been hurt so many times. We won't even hope that something might change. My friend Judy Howard Peterson says, Micah, I always want to be the kind of person who has enough foolishness to hope that I wouldn't become so jaded that I can't even hope. And, and in some ways, this whole conversation that we're having in the covenant and our, like, as the, the length at which we have stayed, I have thought to myself, this is stupid. Like, 
we're dumb. We're fools to keep trying and keep, like, responding with grace and humility and compassion. We're fools. And yet, in some ways, gang, this is an exercise to preserve that space in our hearts for hope. And we've asked our, our, our queer brothers and sisters, like, as, as long as you're, like, this, this matters more to you than me. And so if you say we, we, we stay, we stay. And to date, that's been the general response. And so we've stayed in some ways to preserve a, a place of hope. And to, to model that and to walk that together as a community. That we wouldn't become so jaded that we can't even hope anymore. And we see that in the judges. We see that in God. I want to pause just for a moment before we wrap this up and we look at Gideon. And I want to say there, there seems to be a number of questions about what we're walking into um, that go... Uh, that I'm, We're hearing back as a staff, so I want to address a couple of things that we're hearing like by uh, a number of different ways about like what happens in this. So... Two minutes. The meeting that we're going to is on June 29th. It's a Thursday. We are item 10 on an agenda of like 90 things. So on Thursday afternoon, we will have this conversation with the covenant, and we will either be voted out of the covenant or not. What happens if we get voted out? The church is going to close. No, of course not, okay? If you come here the week before this happens, and then you come here the week after this happens, and we do in fact get kicked out, there's a good chance you wouldn't know anything has changed unless I tell you. The only thing that will change is our, our, our affiliation with a partner in ministry that we've had for the course of our church life. That's it. Um, can I still be your pastor? As long as our board says yes, yes, I can still be your pastor. And I plan to be your pastor. I'm not going anywhere. Our church isn't going anywhere. Our church is congregational in polity, so there's no bishop who tells us who's the pastor here. And uh, our, our, you all, as members, partners in our church, determine that. All right? Um, so I can still be your pastor. And will we find another denomination? Yeah, probably. I think there's a great value in being accountable and being in a part of structures where there's accountability for people like me. Because I'm an idiot. Okay? I can disagree with the rules and how they're being applied and try to change them and still respect authority and the value of accountability and I do so I don't want to be a lone ranger and I don't want our church to be lone rangers so we will likely put a team together to discern uh, uh, some kind of an affiliation that's con more connected to our values and who we are as a church that's going to take time we'll have to change our bylaws blah 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 okay but yes we will likely find some other affiliation I don't foresee us being a non-denominational church forever if we get ex exited from the covenant what about our building? Uh, there are no strings attached. So we have a lease with the Catholic Church, and the covenant has nothing to do with our building. Okay, So those are a few questions that keep coming up, and someone's like, you should probably talk about that because there's a lot of confusion out there. If it's a fog in the pulpit, it's a mist. No, if it's a mist in the pulpit, it's a fog in the pew. Is that? So there you go. Let me land this plane. <laughs> Uh, Gideon, the story of Gideon. There's one part of this story that I just find so beautiful. And if I do nothing else today, I want to try to just remind you of the beauty of God that we see in Scripture. So Judges chapter 6, story of Gideon. It takes three chapters to tell it. I'm going to just read a portion of it, and, I'll t and we'll highlight one thing. Judges 6, starting in verse 7. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. 
I rescued you from the hands of the Egyptians. I delivered you from the hand of all the oppressors, and I drove them out before I gave you the land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Don't worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash from somewhere, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon said. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of the Midianites. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in strength and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord. That's a great response. Pardon me, my Lord. How can I save Israel? My clan's the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and will strike down the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, because I'm not sure, give me a sign. That's, it's really you talking to me. Please don't go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. The story of Gideon goes on. He's been told he's a mighty warrior. He will, he's sent in the spirit of the Lord that God will go with him. And Gideon's like, ah, let me test you. He, he says, tell you what, I'll put out this fleece. If there's water on the fleece, do on the fleece, but nothing else, I'll know it's you. Sure enough, the next morning, there's so much, he wrings it out of the fleece. Gideon's like, thank you. Let's try it the other way. Puts out the fleece again. If there's no dew on the fleece, but there's dew everywhere else, then I'll know. Sure enough, that's exactly what happens. And what does Gideon do? He runs out there with the strength of the Lord. No, he asks for yet another sign. What I want to highlight is that God comes to Gideon as Gideon needs God. Because this is what God is like. God's intention is not to hide. God's intention is not to keep himself from you. So it's not a maze. It's not a trick. God comes to Gideon as Gideon needs God. Do you guys remember the shack? The, the book? I love that book. There's this, the, the, the main character goes to this place where he meets God. He has this experience with the divine presence. And bizarrely, for a host of reasons, you should read the book if you haven't, God shows up first as a, as a, a large black woman, which is so beautiful in so many ways. And it's not until later on in the book when the main character like moves and grows and shifts and changes when they're able to experience God as father that God comes as father. Which to me just highlights this beautiful and important thing that I want you to see and hear this morning. God comes to Gideon as Gideon needs God in the moment. Because God is interested in revealing himself. Period. Jesus is often uh, has encounters with people who have needs, and Jesus' common question to them is, what do you want? Which I think is so fascinating. And I'm going to close this morning and give you a few moments to think about this question. How do you need God to show up today for you? Like, if you could name it, what do you need from the divine today? 
how would, how, how would it be transformative, changing? Like, if God came to you, what would that look like? What do you need? Because I have a sneaky suspicion that if that God is anything like the God that we find in this book, that God's desire is to come to you as you need God to. As you can receive. So do you know? Can you name it? So let me offer a word of prayer, a moment of silence, and I'll just let you sit with that question. And maybe even if you're bold enough to ask for it. So God, we thank you for this time to be together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the way in which you reveal yourself and desire to reveal yourself to us through creation and through Christ and through your scriptures and your Holy Spirit and through one another. Thank you that that's part of who you are and that, that you desire to, to meet us where we are with as much of us as we can handle, with whatever it is that we need because you desire to be in relationship with us. And so I pray for my friends right now as they wrestle with this question, what do I need God to be in this moment? And may we have the courage to name that out loud. So Holy Spirit, speak, I pray. As we close our time together this morning, we want to give you an opportunity to respond. So we'll invite you to the table. <clears throat> so on my right and on my left, there's communion available. There's red wine and there's white grape juice. So we'll invite you to take a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. As you do, know that the body of Christ is broken for you and the blood of Christ has been shed for you. So Mel will lead us in song. We invite you to respond this morning. Well, friends, so good to be together. I hope that you get out today and enjoy uh, the wonder of creation. Today's one of those days that we say, like, this is why we live here, you know? We've been waiting, waiting for it. So uh, just soak it in, hear the birds, see the flowers. If you have allergies, sorry. Uh, take some Sudafed or something, but um, yeah. Uh, and go with this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And the church said together, amen. Grace and peace, friends. See you next week. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakening community or on Twitter at awakening community. See you next time.